looking back to Ephesians chapter 6, I hope that you're also, and I've said this before, but reading and, and studying this passage and meditating on it, there really is so much here. Uh, I was even thinking about last night as I was, you know, just kind of thinking of things that maybe have to come out or can't stay. And it's like, boy, I could, I could do a whole sermon on that one word, <laughs> you know, and, and there's just so much, but we want to make sure that we're, we move forward and um, there's so much more to, to grow from too. In Ephesians 6, we, we're going to see this, this armor, this idea of protecting ourselves from not just the devil, not just the devil's schemes, but, but just our overall protection spiritually. And so we see armor, but armor is just a symbol. This armor that we see is symbolic, and it's really modified by the real armor. And the real armor, then, is the literal objects of our faith. And so what we're seeing here is, okay, here's this, this armor. And the Bible's very rich in that we, we see different uh, grammatical uh, expressions throughout the Bible. You'll see it in poetry. You'll see it in uh, proverb, you know, proverbs. You'll see it in rhymes, things like that. And, and that's the idea. The idea is that, that there could be a, a, a mnemonic device used so that we remember it. We don't want to be forgetful hearers of the word, right? As James says, where we, you know, be like a man who looked at his face in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Well, we don't want to do that with God's word. We don't want to do that when you're sitting there going, look, this is how you protect yourself. So, you know, everybody gets, okay, this, I, I want to know how I protect myself. And so the, 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 the mnemonic device here is to use armor as a symbol. So you remember the armor, but not the armor itself. So it's some of the mnemonic devices that we see are like ABCs, right? Uh, A, B, C, D. I mean, I still, if I go through, you know, rip through that real fast. I have a fascination of trying to memorize the alphabet backwards for some reason. Um, I, I saw it somewhere, and uh, I think I saw it on a video on this, where they're testing a, a drunk driver and I thought I don't know that I could do it and I'm <laughs> sober as can be um, not that that will ever be an issue for me but um, I don't know I was on a quest to try to memorize it backwards um, there's you know other mnemon mnemonic devices you know I before E except after C right we, we memorize grammar that way because who wants to memorize grammar um, you know, my favorites, of course, are acronyms, right? The four Ds. Maybe you guys have noticed that. Um, the reason why is, is we want to take outside the lesson that we just learned. Otherwise, we're just sitting here for 45 minutes and we forget immediately. Well, no, we don't want that. We want, we want to arm ourselves. Uh, we see acrostics in the scriptures. You know, how, how should we pray? Uh, we see a great example of that of the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is, you know, an acrostic of Acts. A, you know, we, we first adore the Lord. C, we make confession of faith. 
T, you know, we, we give thanks. Thanksgiving and then S, the supplication. So that acronym helps us to, to lay out maybe a framework for, for prayer. Well, here the, the device is armor, armor. And so we're, we see that, okay, we're to put this armor uh, of, of God on, right? The, the belt of truth, um, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, you know, the, the, we shot our feet in the gospel. We put on the helmet of salvation. So you see that it's like, okay, here's this armor, but it's of something. And so the armor helps us to remember those things. And then the armor also reminds us that this is our protection. So, so you should immediately identify those things now and forevermore, truth and righteousness and the gospel and salvation and faith as your armor. Those aren't just words. Those aren't just, you know, theological or doctrinal words to remember. That's actually your protection. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, uh, the men in our... Uh, men's study on Tuesday nights. And if you're not attending, we would love for you to come. And uh, we're studying David. Why? Because the scriptures tell us that David was a, is a man or was a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> well, we want to know what that looks like. We want to know what a man after God's own heart looks like. And so we're, we're, we're studying that. Well, we learned a little bit about David and his entanglement with Goliath. It's a great example of how the armor of God is used literally by using truth and righteousness and understanding the gospel. So what does that look like? Well, in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Soko and Azekah and in the uh, Ephemes Demean, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, while the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath. Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and span. So he's about nine feet tall. So here comes the giant. He's a champion. He's undefeated. Okay. Verse five, he's wearing his armor and he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with a scale armor, which weighed about 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had a bronze uh, greaves for his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders and the shaft of his his spear was like a weaver's beam and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And so we see this picture of, of Goliath and he's in his battle array. And not only is he physically big and impressive, but because he's so big, so's his equipment. So's his gear. It's like, I've never seen a spear that big. I've never seen a sword that big, right? I mean, it's the guy is just, just, just massive. Well, moving forward to verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart 
fail on account of him, your servant will go out and fight with the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go out and fight against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said, your servant was tending his father's sheep while a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and is un and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And so we see here's Goliath, this warrior. Now here's this young man, teenager, David. And David has presented himself to be willing and able to now fight this giant. Um, there doesn't seem to be any fear. There's no hesitation. He feels like he has the confidence of previous uh, altercations where at the end of the day, the Lord has delivered him. Verse 37, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of of the Philistine. Uh, verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. You come to me with your human armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver me up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove from your head and I will give it to the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. They will know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hands. <clears throat> what we see here is a beautiful picture of somebody who understands what the battle is. You, you could see and understand how there could be confusion. I mean, there's a whole army of men uh, what we didn't read, there's about 36,000 Philistine soldiers versus about 5,000 Israel soldiers. So they've got them outmanned. They've got their champion, who's a giant, who's a, a huge dude, undefeated. But David doesn't see the, the, the human armor. He doesn't see the human advantage. He, he's blinded by understanding that God is with him. His armor is, is not a real shield. It's not equipment. In fact, the king tries to outfit him in gear and it doesn't fit and it's no good. And he, he, he takes it off. But see, David understands he's not going into battle with no armor. He gets it. He knows what his real armor is. His real armor is he knows what truth is. He understands truth that God fights 
these battles and God wins. That's what's true. It's not a fable. It's not a myth. It's happened before with the Israelites. It happened with the Israelites against Egypt. It's happened with the Israelites against Canaanites. It's happened with Israelites and Philistines before in battles. It's happened with David and bears and lions and tigers and bears, right? Oh my. Um, Sorry, my favorite movie. Um, He knows real truth. That's his first line of defense. He knows God fights and wins. He is a, a, a righteous young man. In fact, the Lord loves him for his righteousness. What makes him righteous? He obeys. Righteousness is, is being obedient. God had instructed the king Saul and the Israelites to take the promised land, to defeat the, the Philistines to the end. They didn't do it. They were disobedient. David says, look, we have instructions from God. Take the Philistines. Doesn't matter if it's a giant. I know the truth. I know what God said. This is what's right. He's being righteous. His righteousness is seen in his actions. He knows what the gospel is. Now, David, in this time, it's before Jesus. It's the Old Testament. So it's his understanding of of how God saves, right? He understands, look, that, that my God saves me. Not my might, not my strength, not my muscles, not my shields, not my spear. No, it's God who saves me. So he can stand firm in front of the giant, having that confidence, being ready because of the gospel. He knows that he has, he, he, he's saved by God. That God redeems his life. Even if that giant strikes me down right now, I'll be with God. He, he, he gets that. He, he's not thinking in, in terms of, you know, the, 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 the giant might hurt me. You know, dying, you know, it's probably painful. He, he's not thinking those things. He's in the spirit. Remember in the Old Testament at this time, the spirit comes and goes. The spirit was with Saul. Now the spirit's with David. And so he's powered by the Holy Spirit. That's part of his, 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 his armor, his faith, right? The shield of faith. What does the shield do? The shield protects you from the enemy. David has no fear because he has faith, real faith. He doesn't need a shield. David is going up against a giant with with nothing but his loincloth, right? And some stones. And, and you know, I've heard some people try to like explain that away. Well, David had all the advantage because he had the versatility of, and it's like, well, I played sports and I've done, you know, things. And, and it's like, if I see a guy standing over there and he starts winding up and I'm a giant and I'm fully armored from head to toe, Pretty much the only place he can hurt me is right here, right? So pretty simple. I watch him wind up. And as soon as he gets to about right here, I just go like this. <laughs> Seems pretty simple to me, right? Well, David's shield wasn't a shield like that. His shield was his faith that if Goliath then picks up his javelin and throws it at David... What's David going to do? He doesn't have anything, right? Wrong. He has the Lord. 
His shield is his faith. It protects him. His confidence then. Prayer gives us confidence. Why? Because we we are in communion with the Lord. And so we see in David a beautiful reality of how the armor of God actually works. And so as we study it, we don't want to get too caught up in the physical armor. What we want to come away with is the, the mnemonic device to remember what our spiritual armor is. And so we begin our study how to be strong, how we're going to be strong in the Lord. Why? We're in a spiritual battle. We've been studying that for the last couple of weeks, right? Make no mistake, we're in a battle. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is, is uh, satanic forces. There's spiritual forces. There are schemes of the devil like traps that are laid out all over. And so we are at war with the opposition of the Lord God Almighty, the devil himself. And so how? How do we live? How do we survive? How can we be firm? How can we stand strong? Well, that's what Ephesians 6 is about to teach us. We're going to see seven pieces of armor. Again, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet in the gospel. You're going to put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and then praying at all times. And so we'll take a couple weeks to look at this. Again, part of our study in Ephesians is, is we're, we're learning how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We're, we're learning how to genuinely equip ourselves, right? Ephesians 4 is clear that we're, we're to be equipping the saints. Well, this is part of how we equip ourselves. We equip ourselves by putting on our spiritual armor, our spiritual armor. So <clears throat> first, our first armor to stand firm against the schemes of the devil is to be equipped by putting on the belt of truth, the, the, the belt of truth. To be able to stand firm. Well, what's this this belt? You, you've got to put yourself back into this time and place in history. You've got the Roman soldiers. So as this is being written, everybody knows what a soldier looks like. Why? Because the Roman soldiers are marching around everywhere. They're on every corner. You, you see them marching down the road. Everybody knows what a Roman soldier looks like. And so... The, the belt of a Roman soldier, of, a, of an army, um, army man at that time, holds everything together. They would wear tunics. Most of them would wear tunics. Uh, and it would keep them tight and secure. They, they would also, this, this leather belt looked more like a weightlifter's belt. It, it was a thick leather. So it would hold everything tight, but it was also part of protection. It allowed them to be very versatile, very mobile, you know, for fighting. Uh, it's, they're, they're going to battle. Some examples of, of readiness that we see in the scriptures with an understanding of what this looks like. Exodus 12, 11, they were called to eat the Passover with their cloaks tucked into their belt. So their cloaks would have been longer 
And so it's like, okay, lift up your cloak and tuck it into your belt while you're eating. So something happens, you can have mobility. In 1 Kings 18.46, we see that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. And so what does Elijah do? He, he tucks his cloak into his belt. Why? So that he can run. And then we see Elijah running ahead and keeping everything together. That, that's part of what the belt does. Um, the belt also is a place that's going to be able to hold, you know, what holds your sword, right? Well, the Roman belt also revealed some other things. They, look, these guys were soldiers. They, you know, th this is what they did professionally. And, you know, you could go to any construction worker and, you know, any, anybody who, who works with their hands and, you know, their tool belt, you know, there's, there's some personal modifications to it that they, you know, they may make for themselves. Well, the Romans were no different and for them. They would put things like their rankings on there. So maybe they had more tassels or more jewels, you know, more flair, right? Everybody likes their flair. And so these, these belts were, were pretty important to them. Well, what's the, the spiritual significance? Well, we, we talked a little bit about this with, with David understanding truth. Understanding truth. Now, today, where we stand today, we're talking about in order to protect yourself against the schemes of the devil, you need to put your belt of truth on. Okay, we're, we're not worried about getting stabbed, right? We're worried about understanding truth. And so we're called to put our belt, belt of truth on. Why? Well, if you don't know what truth is, if you don't have absolutes, well, then anything goes. Does that ring any bells? In the absence of truth, there is no reality. We're dealing with things in today's day and age that, that I remembered studying in, in theory of, well, this is what postmodernism will lead to. Postmodernism doesn't believe in any absolutes. There's, there's no absolutes. Why? Well, because they don't believe in an absolute moral law giver, God. It makes sense. It's consistent. If you don't believe in God, who's the only absolute there is, and God who creates absolute moral laws, why stealing wrong? Who said stealing's wrong? God said stealing's wrong. So, I don't think so. I mean, I grew up stealing. Stealing's wrong because God said steal. He's the absolute. He creates absolute moral laws law. Over the time, we've been debating now, well, stealing's not wrong if you need to eat, right? I mean, if you got to, I mean, you know, we got a little, little kids that we, we, we got to feed the kids. You don't have a job. There's no food. What are you going to do? Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, the famous play Les Mis. In, 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 in Les Mis, you know, he comes out of prison He's starving to eat and he sees bread in the window of the bakery. So what do you do? You've got no money. Well, obvious. You throw a rock through the window and steal it. Doesn't that become morally right? I mean, you have to eat. 
Or he could have knocked on the guy's door and said, listen, I'm starving. I will do, I will work four days for you for a piece of bread. He could have made that as a deal and negotiated that. That would have been honorable. He would have worked and earned for that, right? There's always a way to do the right thing. Well, postmodernism, well, there is no absolute right. There is no absolute morality. In fact, you aren't even you. You, 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 do we really exist? Are we really here? Um, and so we've been debating these things in the university, again, by people. This is what's ironic about professors in university. You realize these people have never left school. They've been in school their entire life. And in fact, at a certain point in school, they stop advancing in school. So you've know, you got a fifth grade teacher that's been teaching like at a fifth grade level for 20 years. Or you have a professor who's literally been teaching like the same syllabus for 20 years. Half of them just will sit there and just read it. They don't even have the decency to memorize their syllabus. And these are considered like the geniuses. And then they read these their syllabus and they come up with these ideas of how society would be so much better if we all wore the same color jumpsuit, right? And we saw this in France and we saw this in, in Russia with the, the revolutions that all started from professors and their ideas and the ideologies that were based on no absolute moral law giver and so there are no absolutes, except for one absolute, that what we teach is absolute, which is very ironic. And their second absolute is there's no absolute moral law giver. So they believe in absolutes, just redefined, which completely should undermine and blow up their theory. But they don't understand basic truth. Basic truth. If God created this world, then God is the creator and sustainer of this world. It's his world. Guess what? You and I cannot destroy his world. You can blast off as much CO2s as you want. That doesn't make you a good steward in this world. Being a polluter or whatever doesn't make, that's not good, but you're not going to destroy this earth. That's one thing I can guarantee you. Why? Because it's not your earth. It's God's earth. And, and God is in control of that. And God has other plans for this earth. Maybe if you've read Revelation, you would remember that uh, the earth doesn't go down because, you know, you're spraying your hair or whatever new thing they come up with. So the belt of truth, the belt of truth helps us to understand what is really right what is really, what is really, and this is deep, real? Well, David knew. D David had an understanding that, that God would protect him. He, he knew, look, I don't know much, but I know the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham to promise us land, seed, and blessing. The first thing is land. God promised us this land of Israel the, the, the promised land. And so in order for God to fulfill his promise, then he had to get the uh, uh, Philistines out. David understood the basics. Jesus knew and used the truth 
of scripture against the schemes of the devil against the devil himself. Remember, we studied that last week in Matthew 4. Whenever Satan would come to, to Jesus with a statement, Jesus would come back. It is written. He would use scripture. He would use truth. The clarity of truth to stand, to hold firm. That, that's what that belt does. It allows us to, to hold firm. Truth allows us to stay firm. The world doesn't like the way the Bible describes things. Or it doesn't, well, if two people love each other, they should just be able to like live together. That's not what scripture says. Well, I don't, I don't need to prove my love with a piece of paper, right? That's not what scripture says. We know what the truth is. We know what the covenant commitment between a, a husband and a wife and between their God and, and how important that is in scripture. We know the truth. Well, the second armor to stand firm against the schemes of the devil to to equip us against his wickedness is to put on our or to have our, our breastplate of righteousness a breastplate of righteousness well a breastplate would be a, a a fixed piece of armor on your body and and it would protect like the most vital organs your you know things like your heart and your lungs and kidneys i mean if you were to get you know, stabbed in there, it's guaranteed death, especially in, in, in this day and age. And so this would usually be, uh, most soldiers would have layers of, of leather. Most of them didn't have like real metal back, back then. But it'd be this layer upon layer, layer upon layer of leather that when, when put together would create protection. Reminded me of memorizing the law of the Lord, precept upon precept verse upon verse, statute upon statute. It's not like one magic verse that you put on. It's the layering of all of it that you put on as a, as a breastplate of, of righteousness. It protects, the goal of it is to protect your heart. Well, the Bible talks a lot about how, how we live through our heart. Psalm 106, 3 says, blessed are those who who keep justice and, and, and practice righteousness. In Proverbs 23, 7, so a man thinketh, he liveth, right? The way you think is the way you're, you're going to live. Well, why? Because all of this is generated from our, our, our central engine that the Bible will, will talk about like as, as the heart. So Proverbs 4.23 says we're to guard our heart. Not guard our heart physically with a breastplate or a shield, but to guard it spiritually. How? By practicing righteousness, by guarding what we think. This, this is how we guard our hearts. Remember the little children's song? Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear, right? Why? You're, you're, you're guarding your heart, your heart's passion. This is why David was unique. He was a man after God's own heart. His heart and God's heart were, 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 were together on the same page. That, that understanding of real righteousness, genuine righteousness, that was David's protection. 
David's heart beat for for God. Who are you to talk about my God that way? That wasn't David crying out for himself. That was David crying out for God's heart. You, you can't talk about my God that way. You can't talk about my God's people that way. Do you understand that when you say you're going to just wipe out the Israelites, that you're blaspheming against my God and his plan and his sovereignty and his power? David understood God's heart. That's what gave David the same kind of heart as God had. And so that protected David. That was his, his breastplate. Romans 2.15 says we're to write the law of the Lord, where? On our hearts. To, to write it on there. You know, you want to get a tattoo? Rip open your chest cavity and tattoo your heart. Just sew it on in there. If you really got to have a tattoo so badly, write the law of the Lord on your heart. Well, this is just a picture, obviously, right? Don't write, rip open your chest. But the law is to guard your heart. The law is to protect you from wickedness, to, to, to be your armor of righteousness. Isaiah 59, 16 says, put on righteousness like a breastplate for protection. This is how we protect ourselves against the schemes of the devil. How? By guarding our hearts. And it's not that we just walk down the road and we, we you know, just these flaming missiles of wickedness and schemes are, and we're just like, you know, like we think we're a superhero. I've got a breastplate on. No. That, that, that's silly. That's us taking the armor literally and and, and not taking the righteous seriously. You, you do have armor if you're in righteousness. Um, by guarding our hearts and living righteously, we resist the schemes of the devil. We have a whole movement right now of progressive Christianity, and I'll, and I'll preach on it later. That this, this idea of, well, you don't have to be obedient to the scriptures. You don't have to do it. I mean, as long as I believe that, that Jesus died for my sins, that's it. That is not it. The, if that was it, then we would walk around with a post-it. Jesus died for your sins. Here, pass it on. No, we, we have a big old book. There's a lot in here, right? If you live this book, you live righteously well, this then becomes your protection and your shield and your guard. It's, it's, it's a complete gospel. I've been studying and, and uh, preparing for trying to come up with a, a one sermon where I can just summarize all the different religions, right? So it's like you get the question all the time. What's the difference between a Methodist and a Lutheran? A Lutheran and a Protestant, a Protestant and a you know, a Baptist, and it's like, okay, how, how can I tie this up? And as I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, well, there's more, there's more to the absolutes 
than just Jesus died for your sins. And so we have to believe in a lot of other things and we have to show that completion by practically living it out. By being obedient to the scriptures. Very, very important. And that's part of our protection as we live righteously. There, there, there were things that <clears throat> when I was younger and, uh, you know, when you know, dad wasn't always around to see and, you know, you're, this is why you have to like guard your kids and never let them out of your sight. Um, because, you know, when the, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? And so you don't know where they're at. You don't know who they're with. You don't know what they're doing. One of the, the interesting things is when you're unrighteous, you do unrighteous things. You have unrighteous ideas. You have unrighteous friends. Unrighteous friends do unrighteous things. And it's no magic then that you find yourself in trouble. Uh, we lived in a neighborhood uh, for a short period of time that was considered one of the rougher neighborhoods and, you know, more, you know, gangs and things like that. It, it's funny when you're, you know, out at two and three in the morning and you're with, you know, guys that are, you know, dressing the uniform of the hoodlums, you know, and in people's houses that aren't theirs with things that don't belong to them doing things. It's like, it's weird that the police don't like that and they get in trouble for that. Well, you put yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And well, at some point in time, you're going to get caught. And then, you know, you get it on TV now and there's a cry foul. I don't know why they're always picking on us. I don't know why you're out in the street at 2 a.m. in the morning in the wrong place. Well, the flip side of this, the righteous, they're not there. They're not doing those things. They're reading the word of God and writing it on their hearts and memorizing it and understanding what right and wrong is, understanding what God's plan is, understanding what, what the purpose and the goal for, for real living is and staying on that path, staying on the path of righteousness, walking in a manner worthy of the calling, putting on righteousness. You do that day upon day, precept upon precept. And after a while, you start living a righteous life. That is your breastplate. Takes time. Takes years. This is why a dear old Granny Lee Saint can be like the strongest saint in the building because she has spent a lifetime of building that righteousness and building that press plate. And everybody respects and because she understands that when the going gets tough, when the trial comes in the tribulation, where does she go? Right? We ask her because she's in the spirit. She's in righteousness. And it doesn't seem like life doesn't seem to affect her the way it does other people. The arrows seem to bounce off of her. Hopefully you, you know people like this. Um, we, we see examples of this. 
Well, the third armor to stand firm against the schemes of the devil is to equip ourselves by shodding your feet in the gospel. Now, shodding is just, just an old way of, you know, like putting your shoes on, right? So it's the idea of horses. So I'm not calling you guys horse faces or anything like that. But it's like shodding, you know, the, 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 the horse shoe on. That's how you're, you're supposed to shod your feet in the gospel. Well, typically a, a Roman soldier, I mean, their normal walk was like a 25-mile march. No blisters. You know, they're, they're, they're not wearing anything like, you know, uh, you know, Doc Martens or, you know, Birkenstocks. Uh, they just got like a leather sole, but they would have these straps that would keep everything tight. Uh, these are like, you know, for, for a soldier, this is their work boot. You know, have you ever noticed every industry like has their own like type of work gear? You know, the, the nurses now, you know, they wear like the Crocs and, you know, a construction guy wears a boot. You know, somebody else wears a steel tone boot. An athlete wears spikes with a metal spike, a sharp spike or a rounded spike. Um, everybody's got their own type of spikes. You know, the cyclist, like it hooks into the bike. That's why when you see a bike race and one guy falls, 20 guys fall because they can't get their foot up. They're all like hooked in. It's really kind of weird. But, but it gives them good footing as long as they're clicked in. If they're clicked in, they're firm, they're strong. One of my favorite parts of getting ready for, for games was you know, lacing up. I don't know why. It's just a fun part of like, you know, you're putting your uniform on and all that and, and just lacing it, making sure it was good and tight. And, and then, you know, you, you didn't want it to get loose during the game or anything. It, it's preparing yourself. You put your shoes on in preparation for anything. Well, what we see here is verse 15. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. The gospel is your preparation. The preparation is the gospel. The gospel, quite literally, is understanding the, the death, burial, and, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word for the gospel actually is where we get the term evangelize. So you could say, and this is why you'll hear people describe really the whole Bible as the gospel, because the word of God is, is, is the truth of, of God's word and the gospel. It's how we, we get saved, how we find salvation. That's how we, we prepare ourselves for life and, and godliness and battle, spiritual battle. 2 Timothy 2.15 reminds us that we, we study the word. Why? To show ourselves approved. But, but even more to, to be ready, 1 Peter 3.15, to be ready to make a defense. So like Jesus, to be ready to defend the schemes of Satan. Like Adam and Eve, if, if they were ready to just quote right back to, 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 to Satan, right? This, the, the serpent. Did God really say this? Yes, he did, actually. On, uh, right? Chapter and verse. That, that's what we want to do. We want to be prepared. We want to be able to take a stand. The whole point of 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, is to take a stand on the gospel so that we can hold firm. This is part of the problem with the modern Christian movement is we're not preaching the right gospel. Galatians 1 tells us, look, even if an angel comes or a person comes in the image of an angel and 
teaches you a different gospel. Reject it. Well, that begs the question. Well, what's the difference between the bad gospel and the good gospel? I'm glad you asked. Here it is. Whoa-oh, wait a minute. I want the post-it version. There is no post-it version. We read the whole thing, beginning to end. And you know what you do when you get done? You read it again. And then you know what you do after that? Now you really realize what you don't know and what you've forgotten, and you read it again. And you keep reading over and over and over again. Why? So that your feet are ready, so that you're prepared. You never know what part of God's Word you're going to need when you walk out that door today. That's your armor, though. What flaming missile is going to come at you? From I don't know. I, I don't know what direction, what angle this is, is going to come at me from. Could come by attacking one of my kids, kind of like Job. <coughs> Could come through finances. Could th- come from, you know, your car breaks down, your middle of nowhere. There's so many different ways that the devil attacks us. It could mean that you have a decision right now to make that, that's righteous or unrighteous. Are you going to make the right decision? Or are you going to just rely on yourself? No. We want our feet ready, prepared. We've studied to show ourselves approved. We're ready to make it a defense. Why? So that we can be stable. David was stable. This is the beautiful picture of David. He's just a young boy and he walks into the, to the, the battle arena, as it were. And he's the only one who, who's stable. He's the only one that like sinks his feet in and says, I'm ready to defend the Lord. Why? Because I know where I stand. I know what my strength is. I know what the truth is. And it has nothing to do with me. We go back and and it's just, the words are are so remarkable and so powerful and and repetitive. It's it's six times, six times David says, First uh, Samuel 17, 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear. Here's my armor. I come to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. That's his first anchoring down in the Lord. Second one, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. You know what? You think you're coming at me, but you're not coming at me. I'm part of God's children. I've been adopted into the kingdom of God. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and now he holds me in his hands, and nothing will separate me from his love. Romans 8, 38 39. Verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. David, look, I don't know who you are. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how pretty your gear is. I I have the Lord. He will deliver me. That all, why? That all the earth will know. It's kind of that crowd to Ezekiel 25, 12 through 17. They will know my name is the Lord and I will strike them down. God is in control of fighting the battles. David clearly understood this. Verse 47, 
and that all of this assembly may know, once again, the Lord. Not that you're going to walk away with this praising David. So many stories of the David and Goliath story are so misguided. First of all, it shouldn't be called David and Goliath. It should be God destroying Goliath. And David's name shouldn't be mentioned because it was the power of the Lord. We appreciate David and, and love his example, but this was the doing of the Lord God Almighty. And David knows this and he gives glory and credit and power and authority to the Lord every step of the way, six times. The sixth time says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. And so when we talk about having our feet stable and secure, we can do that just like David did. How? Because he knew the truth. He knew the truth. He knew that even though the world may be against you, even though the world may be redefining everything that you ever knew to be right and wrong, okay, you can still stand firm. Not, not in your own cleverness, but in God's word. Well, you know what? I know what's right and wrong because God said so. So many times, you know, people will say, well, why are, you, why are you so judgmental or, you know, why do you believe? It's like, well, I don't. God does. I don't know. I didn't invent this stuff. God, God told me stealing's wrong. Stop stealing. Um, fornication's wrong. Stop fornicating. Be pure before marriage. Be pure before marriage. Be faithful in marriage. Be faithful in marriage. These are God's rules. I didn't invent them. And so I fight like crazy to make sure that I obey them, each and every one of them, not twist them to conform them to, well, I didn't grow up that way. None of my friends think that. So let's just tweak it a little bit. No, just obey it. Dig your feet in, dig your heels in and just follow and you will be strong. Reminder, the devil schemes. He's tricky. He doesn't just come at you intellectually. Well, you know, let's talk about this. Why don't we do this in debate format? I'll make three points. You make three points. No, he lies. He distorts. He, he cheats. He's a schemer. So you better know your word. But if you know your word, you'll be strong. You'll stand like that tree firmly planted. We see the great example again with David. And as a, as a reminder, 1 John, 1 John <clears throat> uh, 1, or chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Okay, look, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the devil, the schemes of the devil, the, the principles, the principalities, right? The, the, the demonic forces, the schemes. Don't believe every spirit. Test them to see whether they are from God. How do you know if a spirit's from God? Like that eight ball thing, you know, you shake it and is that how? No, you know God's word. Why? Because many false prophets... Not one. There's not one false prophet that's only going to come at the end. No. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
and done the bidding of their master. Many false prophets have gone out to the world. How do we test the spirits? By knowing God, by making ready defense, by by being prepared, right? Verse 2 here. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's part of understanding the gospel, right? Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You may not know this or understand this. The spirit of Antichrist was already in the world. This is 2,000 years ago. Guess where he's at today? In the world. Okay, The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. Be ready. This is why we have a spiritual battle. Verse 4. Here's the encouragement. You, though, this is true. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. The devil's going to and fro like a lion. The demonic schemes are all over the place like traps. But, 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 verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than who is in the world. Have that strength. Have that confidence like David. You have the right armor. Understanding the gospel, being set firm in the gospel. Your feet are shod in the gospel of preparation. And so you're able to withstand these schemes because the schemes are there. They're around us and we need to be ready for battle. But our mindset has to be right. We have to have the right mindset. And so next week we'll, we'll continue studying and understanding what, what the what the real armor is, what 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 God's intention and the the use of the totality of Scripture. And, and and I don't want us to miss this. It's not one verse in Ephesians six or one chapter. It's the totality of Scripture. This is why in Deuteronomy six. The, the first thing you teach your kids, the Lord, our God is one. Besides him, there is no other. So we need to study and understand what he's teaching. So we can live without fear. There's no reason for a Christian to live in fear. No reason. Greater is he who's in us. We have spiritual armor that goes with us everywhere we go. We physically don't have to wake up in the morning and strap it on. It's on you. And the more you're in the word, the, the more you're, you're ingrained into it, the deeper you are into it, the more battle ready you are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a clear understanding that armor is is not just a physical thing. Lord, it's it's a spiritual one. It's a it's a clear understanding of how to live how to live in righteousness, in obedience, how to live precept upon precept according 
to your law, according to your statutes, according to your principles. Lord, all scripture is so profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof and training and righteousness so that the mad man of God can be adequately equipped. Lord, you have given us enough to be properly equipped for battle. We're so thankful. We're so grateful. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.